Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 20 of the Founder Podcast with Danae Ringelman. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm your host. By the time you're listening to this interview, it will have almost been New Year's. I just want to wish you all a happy new year and let's make 2015 the best year yet. If there's one thing that I would ask you to do is set some goals I think it's so important to set goals because if you don't set goals for the year, how do you know what to strive towards? How do you know what targets you want to hit? And it's so important to write them down. I'll just share with you quickly one way that I set goals is I set my goals for the year. I use a goal pyramid. So I have our biggest goal at the top of a pyramid and then to get to that top goal there's going to be sub goals underneath it. I find this process to be really powerful and I and I have these goals next to my bed and every morning when I wake up I look at them and I see how I'm tracking. Another cool little trick that I'd like to share with you that I'd highly recommend is write a letter to your future self using futureme.org. Send it to yourself one year from now. I promise you Knowing that that email is going to come to you one year from now with your goals and you actually write as if these are the things that you have achieved and just knowing that email is going to come, it just changes the dynamic. It's really, really powerful, so I highly recommend it. So that brings me to today's guest, Danae Ringelman. Now, this person is somebody that's democratized finance. 
I'm sure you would have heard of crowdfunding. I'm sure you would have heard of Indiegogo. Danae was the person that actually invented crowdfunding. She was the person that was so frustrated that the only way that you could get funding was from a bank or an investor. So she set out to change that and that's what she's done. So it's a really, really interesting story. She also shares some really interesting insights around what it takes to build a successful crowdfunding campaign. So if you are interested in doing a crowdfunding campaign, you'll get a lot of gold from this interview. But I think you'll just find a lot of value just from the story, you know, because that's what Founders all about as well. I'm, you know, I want people to learn, but at the same time, it's great to, to hear the person that's behind the brand and how it started for them. So that's enough from me. If you're enjoying this podcast, please make sure you leave us a review. Make sure you subscribe and also check out the magazine. To do that, just simply go to our website, foundermag.com. So that's it from me, guys. Let's just jump into the show. Hope you have a great rest of your 2014. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Um, So can you tell us, how did you get your job? I created it. <laughs> um, so can you run us through I, that? How, how did it all yeah, start? Sir, the whole point was not necessarily to create a job. The point was to create some change. So I started Indiegogo because I had personally been affected by a very massive problem that I, in my early 20s, I started to realize was not just impacting myself and my family and the people I cared about, but actually everyone across the world. And that problem was inefficient access to capital. What I saw were ideas going unborn every day, not for lack of heart and hustle, but simply for lack of access to the right gatekeeper, the right person that holds the the purse strings uh, to make an idea happen. I was surrounded by this as a child. My parents were small business owners in San Francisco, and it was a brick-and-mortar business that they ran, but they could never really get their growth off the ground because they couldn't get a loan. No bank would ever lend to them without making them personally guarantee everything. And then as I grew up, I went into finance to really understand money and see why it was so hard. And uh, I worked at J.B. Morgan, but while working there, I actually got pulled into working with some filmmakers and theater producers on the side, helping them raise money for their independent projects. And in the process of doing that, I actually started to fail for the same reasons that my parents failed. They just didn't know the right people that could cut the check and make the pain go away and make the idea happen. So kind of the culminating moment for me was, well, a couple activities, events happened, subsequent events happened. The first was I was, I think, a year into J.P. Morgan, and I got invited to this event called Where Hollywood Meets Wall Street. And the event, I thought, was going to be an opportunity to get out of the office because <laughs> I, a word I could justify to my boss because the word Wall Street was in the title. But really what I was hoping for was the opportunity to really be a fly on the wall and kind of listen and observe and see what is it, you know, how do power brokers of Hollywood talk to power brokers of Wall Street? What, is, what are those conversations really like? And when I arrived, the, the exact opposite was was there. It was not a sea of you know, power brokers of Hollywood or Wall Street was really a sea of emerging artists all hoping to meet their next angel. And because I was one of maybe a handful of folks from a bank, I was clearly one of the more popular people at the event. Mm. It was not the fly-in-the-wall experience that I was expecting and had hoped for. 
So as an introvert, it made me incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> but it was that through that discomfort that I actually started to see something. And what that something was, was that finance was was truly messed up. It was two days later, though, that it all kind of came to clarity when I received a script from one of the elderly filmmakers who had written a note that said, it was wonderful to meet you, Danae. I look forward to you financing my next film. And all I remember noticing was how much money he had spent on FedExing me his package and how sad that made me feel at that moment that I could do nothing. And really what it was is that here was a man of a lifetime of experience who was begging me, someone with no experience, for money simply because I worked at a bank. And so that is what kind of was the the catalyst. I got on the phone with my mom. I was all upset. And after kind of 20 minutes of ranting, she said, "What well, you know, she was busy running her business. So she didn't have a lot of patience, but she said, well, if you're that pissed off about it, go do something about it. So essentially, that's what started me to work with some of the filmmakers and theater producers I'd met that night. I went on to help produce a one-night event of an Arthur Miller play in New York City, a play about racial profiling, and this was right after September 11th, so that was a very hot topic. And the goal of the night was to pack a house with an audience, get actors to volunteer their time, and then um, have investors there to witness the whole night such that they'd be impressed and they'd write a check and we'd turn it into full-blown production. Everything went perfect, and except the last moment when they turned to me and they said, thanks, that was great, good luck, we're not investing. And it was essentially, you know, I didn't have the track record of a Broadway producer, I didn't know the right people, and they weren't the right investors. And the whole event failed simply because I couldn't connect the right investors to the opportunity. So I realized at that moment, too, that, the, you know, it was the elderly man and my parents who kind of taught me that finance was broken, but it was this experience that showed me how it was broken. And the way it was broken is that the people who wanted an idea to come to life the most, which in this case were the actors in the audience, they didn't actually have the power or mechanism to make it happen and that they were completely dependent on a third-party gatekeeper for their idea to come true. So that's what I wanted to go fix. So it took me a while. I came up with my original idea, which was more of an offline fund idea with a democratic twist. I went back to business school to start the company, and it was at business school that, in pitching it to everyone, I knew that I actually met my first co-founder, Eric, who himself, in a parallel life before I met him, had been struggling with fundraising, helping a theater company in Chicago get off the ground. And he brought in our third co-founder, Slava, who also, in a parallel life, had been struggling with fundraising, raising money for cancer research, because his father had died of cancer when he was a young boy. And so together, when they heard my idea, they both, the two of them themselves were from technology backgrounds. And so they quickly asked me, you know, they were excited about what I was trying to do in democratizing finance. But they quickly asked, you know, if you, you know, why aren't you using the Internet, the most democratic tool out there? Why are you doing this offline? And so I thought it was a great question, but I informed them about the SEC laws at the time, which was America's securities laws that prevented people from investing online, which was the original idea. But I said it's probably time to change the law because the laws were written in a time when technology didn't exist. The Internet didn't exist. The only way to protect people from risk was to not allow them to engage at all. But with technology, you could actually limit what people can expose themselves to. Um, so we tried to navigate the laws a little bit, see if there's an exemption. We can automate all that. It became increasingly complicated, and we realized that we were trying to do two wholeheartedly innovative things. One prove that the internet is a great way to, in a more efficient and robust manner, raise money. 
and two, change the law. <laughs> so what we did is we put the law change aside for a second and tried to not boil the ocean in doing both and instead focused on proving that the internet is a robust mechanism to help people connect with other like-minded individuals and raise money for what they're passionate about. At the end of 2006, we committed to each other. Um, we started working on January 2007. By January 2008, we'd had a beta built, online site built, and we launched it to the film community, which was going to be our first target market, with the goal of opening up later. And it's kind of been history ever since. We're now, I guess, the oldest but largest online funding platform in the world. And we're serving every country, every industry, ideas from businesses to urban gardens to schools to medical cures to babies to films and music tours to you name it is being funded on Indiegogo all across the world. Hey guys, I really hope you're feeling inspired from today's interview. The truth is there's never been a better time to build an e-commerce business. And the best part is you don't have to do it alone. And that's where Founder Plus comes in, which I'm really excited to share with you. If you're feeling stuck in your e-commerce business, lacking confidence to move forward, or really worrying about making costly mistakes, Founder Plus is here to support you. You get access to a customized learning pathway with proven frameworks from successful e-commerce founders for fast results, a supportive community, weekly live mentorship, exclusive savings on startup tools and 24-7 real human support. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash Founder Plus trial or click the link in our show notes to claim your trial. All right, now I'll jump back in the show. Wow, that's an amazing story. There's a lot that I'd like to unpack. The first is what do you think it takes to to have and develop a good idea? What what are the core elements? Because you would see ideas more ideas than most. What Indiegogo is doing in, in in creating this democratic platform where all ideas are welcome and all ideas thrive based on their own merit versus what an individual or two think think about the idea whether that idea deserves to exist or not is this element of authenticity. Um, when people are creating a campaign on Indiegogo, they have to bring their whole self to Indiegogo, not just what the idea is, but who they are, why it's important, the whole shebang. And so what makes an idea and a campaign successful on Indiegogo is one that truly connects with an audience. And so the keys to success there then are a, be yourself. <laughs> Don't put on the metaphorical uniform to try to impress an investor, but put on yourself, you know, and be you and speak from the heart about what you're doing, but also why you're doing it and why you're the right person to be doing it and why you're so passionate about it. So the way that manifests is through a great pitch. A great pitch is one that's incredibly authentic and personal. It includes everything from a video that we know on, on our site that campaigns with videos raise on average 115% more than campaigns without. And so in that video, we encourage you to put yourself in it and talk again about the what, the why, and the who, and the how. And then it also includes specificity around your funding target, what you're trying to do, what's your next milestone. You do not need to raise 100% of your budget all at once, but specificity and transparency around what you're raising the money for, how, you're, how the money's going to actually get you to your next milestone or, or threshold is really important. 
having unique perks that speak to your campaign, that showcase who you are, that are interesting for your specific audience, those always go a long way. So the first part about being successful is, again, having a great campaign, which involves being you and, and, and personal and authentic. The second key is making sure you're proactive. So Indiegogo is an engine. We're this platform that the more you put in, the more you get out, the more we amplify and help you. So if you put you know zero in, we amplify zero, which is nothing. But if you put in a lot of effort and rev that engine, then our amplification tools help you expand your reach, gain exposure, and reach more people than you ever could alone. And part of revving that engine is doing updates. It's also using language like inviting people in. The biggest mistake I see people make is that in raising money on Indiegogo, they ask for money. I know that sounds a little counterintuitive, but a lot of people think that this is a place to beg. If you come on Indiegogo and you beg, you will not be successful because that's not what Indiegogo is about. Indiegogo is about bringing people together to ideate and create together, to make things happen together. We even say do anything together. <laughs> um, so it's all about activation and involvement, not asking out of guilt. And that is the fundamental difference. That's why I think nonprofits have such an interesting experience on Indiegogo because it kind of breaks them from their mold and habits of asking for money and instead turns them into kind of leaders and project creators and ideators instead, you know, movement leaders, if you want to call it, where their job is to activate an audience and activate a group of people to, you know, shape the world around them and lean into their lives. The third um, element of success is just making sure you have that I an idea that the world actually wants. So a lot of people actually use Nikogo as a way to test their idea. Maybe they've got some cool concept for, you know, a really a better Q-tip, which actually we do have a campaign <laughs> doing it called the O-tip. But it's a great way to test to see if that if this idea has legs. Do people really want this? Clearly this one, people do. It's raised, I think, $78,000 on a $30,000 goal. But it's a great way to test to see if there is an audience and appetite for what you're trying to create. And if there isn't one, then it's actually great feedback that it's an idea that the world doesn't want. And maybe you should take your time and energy and money and, and move to the next idea in life and, and work on that. And so we actually get a lot of people who are very thankful for Indiegogo because we were a great way to test an idea and they learned very quickly that their idea didn't have legs. And where do you see the future of crowdfunding going? Future, I like to say the future of funding is all of us funding the future. <laughs> Our goal is to democratize access to capital where everybody has an equal opportunity to both raise money for what they care about as well as to fund what matters to them. And so the future of finance is all of us leaning into our lives, funding the things that matter to us, not waiting and relying on a third party to do it for us. So if you wake up in the morning and you, you're you know, craving a really good cup of coffee and there isn't a coffee shop any nearby, anywhere nearby, you know, maybe it's time to either start that coffee shop or fund someone who wants to start a coffee shop too. You can make it happen now. You don't need to sit and wait for the world to bring you what you hope it knows you want. <laughs> it's time for you to actually just go make it happen, whether as a creator or as a funder. So that's the world. I see funding being as liquid as commerce. I see funding becoming a daily habit, just like buying is a daily habit. I see funding maybe becoming even more of an important daily habit, people holding their funding decisions even closer to their chest and holding it with pride because funding isn't just a way to get what you want, but funding is a way to show to the world what you care about and what you're about. It might even replace the resume or the personal profile about how you kind of 
illustrate your identity to the world. So I think it's going to be liquid and I think everyone will be doing it and it'll be part of your daily life. And everyone will have a campaign, you know, whether it's to raise money for your cousin's cancer treatment or to build that local restaurant that you've always wanted or to help your favorite filmmaker get their start or, or what have you. Look, I'm mindful of, of your time and we have to work towards wrapping things up. I have two last questions. One is, as an entrepreneur, what, is, what has been one of your biggest struggles? Well, it was a struggle in the early days, but then it took a very poignant lesson and piece of advice from my dad that I refer back to all the time that has helped me get over it. And the struggle is that whenever you're trying to do something new in this world, if you're trying to create any kind of meaningful change, especially change that you know will help the world, <laughs> you have to expect resistance. Is there any any secret strategies that you want to share around uh, crowdfunding? Like is there, is there something that you see out there that you see a lot of people not doing that you wish you saw more of? You know, the world doesn't like change. It likes to say no. It has incredible inertia. But as an entrepreneur, it's your job to keep saying yes. And don't expect any pats on the back and, you know, support. Just know that the world needs you to keep saying yes, and eventually it'll appreciate it. People were laughing at us. People were saying it would never work. To the point where when you hear it enough, you then start to question yourself and question your your thinking and ideas and vision, lots of resistance happening. And so I think, thank goodness my father shared what he shared because whenever something would go wrong or I get to feel personally defeated or frustrated or concerned or worried or whatever type of emotion that happens in a low, I would just remember my dad's words. I'm like, oh, no, this is just the world saying no. I get it now. Okay, I can handle this. Like the world doesn't know any better. It just has inertia. So I got to keep charging forward. And so, you know, in the early days, there, you know, vendors would fail us and that would impact our ability to deliver to customers. And we'd have, we got rejected by 92 venture capitalists before one said yes. So, it, you know, resistance comes in the form of ridicule. It comes in the form of rejection. It comes in the form of self-doubt. And you just have to see it as resistance and know that it's your job to keep, keep going. This thing that I've been dealing with is <laughs> just another example of resistance. And so just need to deal with it and move forward and, you know, continue to innovate and continue to help people think differently and open their eyes and realize that change is possible and a better way is possible. I'm curious, who do you learn from? Oh, I learned from my team. I learn from my employees. I learn from our customers. I mean, every day, you know, people are innovating. Our customers are using our platform in new ways. You know, I never thought on Indiegogo there was a couple that had used Indiegogo as a way to raise money to have IVF. They couldn't afford to have an, a baby naturally, or they wow. couldn't have a baby naturally, and they couldn't afford to have IVF, and so they turned Indiegogo. And they actually ended up raising 90% of the funds from strangers. And that blew me away. That I mean, I never envisioned Indiegogo as a way to fund a baby, but they did it. And, you know, Indiegogo is all about being open and flexible. And 
Like we've built all this functionality on the back end, whether it's referral analytics, perk swapping functionality, fixed or flex funding, you name it. We offer embedded campaigns called the Outpost. You can host your own Indiegogo campaign on your website, but also kind of take advantage of all the benefits of having that a mirrored version of the campaign on Indiegogo. So all kinds of cool functionality, all functionality that our team has developed, all functionality that's come from direct feedback from customers, and all functionality that has been a result of innovative thinking and thinking outside the box. And so I love Indiegogo, not just because of what we're doing, but the people that we've attracted to come work here think that way. And they, you know, don't take no for an answer and they get excited when there's no template to follow and they come up with the craziest ideas and make it happen. And it's infectious. It's like, it's totally in a positive way, self-reinforcing and self-perpetuating in a good way. Wow. I'm curious, how did you guys in the humble beginnings when you first launched Indiegogo, how did you get your first hundred customers? How did you get people using the platform? One by one. Uh, we rolled up our sleeves and I went out to my classmates in business school and asked, who knows a filmmaker that needs money? <laughs> <laughs> and every single person in my class said, oh, my cousin, my uncle, my neighbor, my whatever is a filmmaker trying to get their first film or second film or third film off the ground. And so it was my classmates that connected us all to our first filmmakers. And from there, we just worked with them to be successful. We learned in their experience what mattered in terms of driving funding success and what didn't. And then we tried to take all that feedback and productize it and continue to improve the experience. But the first 100 days, you know, we were just focused on getting as many customers using Indiegogo and proving that Indiegogo is a way to raise money. And we did whatever it took to uh, make them be successful. Wow. And what are your thoughts on equity-based crowdfunding. It's exciting. You know, the original vision was to democratize investing, and we gave up on the equity piece in the early days when we decided we couldn't boil the ocean, (laughs) or we shouldn't. But it's actually come back around a lot quicker. We partner with the government, on the U.S. government at least, in helping them pass the Jobs Act. I actually did my own Indiegogo campaign back in 2010 to raise $1,000, which was called a crowdfunding campaign to change crowdfunding law, which is to um, basically pay a lawyer to write a petition to the SEC to change the law so that people could invest online. And we just protect them in a different way by limiting how much they invest versus just not allowing them, which is how the 1933 and 34 securities laws were written. So, we're really excited about it. We've clearly unlocked a whole different market, the perk space market, which is incredibly motivating and exciting. And a lot of people may never want to use equity crowdfunding because perk space crowdfunding allows them to maintain ownership of their idea. But I certainly think it can be a huge market and it's a huge need and a huge desire of people. Main street investors, just like wall street investors want to be able to not just fund what matters to them, but also invest in what matters to them and have the opportunity to earn a profit. One of my friends, and uh, you will know him, he's the CEO of Fundable. He had a question that he wanted me to ask you, and he said, how important will equity crowdfunding be with the extension of the IGG platform? I can't answer that at the moment because the laws aren't finalized, so we can't make a business decision on how and when to execute against it Mm -hmm. um, because we don't know what we're actually executing against. (laughs) 
So it's all TBD, but we're leaning in on it. We're excited about it. Philosophically, it makes a ton of sense for us. Awesome. And what advice would you give to early stage startups and aspiring entrepreneurs just starting on their journey? Well, one, I would recommend that early stage startups and entrepreneurs ask themselves why. Why do they want to be an entrepreneur? And if their answer is just something around ego or fame or rich or whatever, I would encourage them to stop and ask themselves again, why do they want to be an entrepreneur? Or really like focus on their idea. If they have a specific idea now that they want to solve or they want to create or build, ask themselves, why do they want to create it? Why does this problem that they're solving matter so much to them personally? And the reason I say that is because entrepreneurship is really hard. Things don't go according to plan. It takes way longer than you ever think it could. And if you're not completely infatuated with solving a problem, then you'll give up. It's just too hard. And I always say, you know, be married to your problem, not your solution, because the way you solve a problem may change and it may have to change over time in order for you to actually solve it the best. But just be committed to that problem. And if you stay committed to the problem, not the solution, then you'll be able to have the ability to pivot and be flexible. So the second piece of advice is uh, don't wait for perfect. And I especially tell this to female entrepreneurs, business owners, because for whatever reason, society, conditioning, whatever, we train women to, like, be perfect and to have all their ducks in a row and, you know, mind be, you know, don't make a scene, be nice. Mm. Entrepreneurship is all about making a scene. It's all about change. It's all about challenging the status quo and like making something better and not just accepting something the way it is. So you have to lean in and and go after things. And the key is to not wait for perfect. You're never going to get perfect. You're always going to figure, you're going to figure out what you need to figure out as you're figuring it out. (laughs) And unless you take action, you're not going to get any kind of equal and opposite reaction. So even if you made a wrong decision, by at least making the decision, you get feedback very quickly that it was the wrong decision or the right decision. And then you can move and pivot from there. And if it was the wrong, then you change and you move forward. But if you sit there and try to debate in your head what you know, which way's up, which way's down, which way's right, which way's left, you're never gonna make any progress and you'll be stuck in your head. For me, it took it was in my head for too long not too long, but it was in my head. And Egogo didn't move forward because it was in my head. And it wasn't until I took an action, which is quit my job and go back to business school to start something, did actually momentum come from that. And that's how I met my co-founders, and that's how we built our site, and then the rest is history. Hmm. And do you think your business school degree really helped you on, on your journey? I think my business school experience completely helped me. It allowed me to get a fresh look at the world. (laughs) I knew this problem that I wanted to solve was paramount and kind of top of mind for me. But in leaving finance, I was actually able to look at finance from a different, through a different lens. So I could actually solve the problem that has been plaguing it for so long. The problem being inefficient access to capital, which is a result of gatekeepers making the system inefficient and full of friction. So I wasn't able to see that while I was in it. I had to step away from it to actually see that. So business school helped me and it surrounded me with colleagues. It surrounded me with classmates and professors that had exposed to all different ways of thinking, parallel models, frameworks, you name it. And just being able to get exposure to all that, that really helped drive clarity around what we need to go do and test and experiment and push forward. So plus it had a huge amount of moral support (laughs) 
uh, again, when the world was saying no to us and ridiculing us, it was my classmates and my professors who kept saying, you know, reminding us that it's okay to say yes and it's good and it's needed and you should keep going. Yeah, no, I, I know totally how you feel. Like the problem that you're solving, it, it is a massive problem and, I, and it, it would have been, I'm sure there would have been so many tough times to know, you know, if to keep going and, and you doubt yourself and, and yeah, it's, it's amazing the, the platform and, and what you've created. So thank you so much for taking the time. This has been really interesting and insightful and yeah, we've got a lot of gold there that we can use. So thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.